Hello, listeners, and welcome to episode 286, a milestone for the Spoiler Alert podcast. This is Mike. I'm here with Danny. And we're again joined by our friend of the podcast, Dan, tonight. And we're going to be discussing another Best Picture winner. Dan, I think you you joined us on Braveheart once upon a time. I can't remember if there's another Best Picture. I, that, yeah, yes. that might be the only yeah, Best that Picture. Was, that, might, that might be the only one. But but tonight we're we're discussing uh, the Best Picture winner from 2009. Nine. Was it? What yep. the hell? Yeah. Not 2009. The Hurt Locker. Directed by Catherine Bigelow, which I think is an important one for us to discuss because that's when women wanted to make movies, and it's it's important <laughs> that we address that we address that. That was the one year that they. That, that was the decided. one year that a woman wanted to make a movie. Sofia yeah, Coppola yeah, yeah, yeah. once wanted to make movies, and she did so to some acclaim for a little bit. Right. Yep. Two thousand nine though was when they first started wanting. To make movies, they, they they really wanted. Like I mean, that, she was a Coppola, and of course, and of course, Catherine Bigelow was a Cameron. Right. Oh, so, it got, it got yeah. weird the, right the, away. This, you just started. You like took us to a weird spot. Alienated it, at least fifty percent of the audience. I like. We'll that. get them back. <laughs> we'll get, we'll get, them, we'll get back. them back by the end of it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, welcome Dan, back, Danny. Dan. Dan, how are you doing tonight? How are you guys doing? I'm doing great. Yeah, I'm doing great as well. It's great yeah. to be with you guys again. Thanks for having me again. Well, we're so we're glad socially to have distancing. You. We are we are sequestered in our homes. We're we're kind of lonely and a little bit sad, but doing great. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be it's gonna be one of those, everybody. Yeah. It's gonna be one of those. Right. Since the best picture choosing machine spat this one out, can we start with a real quick discussion? Did you guys see that the Academy changed some rules this year? I did not. So the Academy, uh, first of all, I guess the biggest news is that they uh, relaxed this screening requirement for 2020, given that cinemas around the country are closed. So right now, any film that has been released on streaming on demand is technically allowed to be eligible for nominations this year without having the requirement to play uh, for, I think it's seven days in a theater. Yeah. Now, once movie theaters are open, so as the sort of patchwork of state rules, I don't know if it's 100% of the states or if there's a tipping point, once the, the cinemas are allowed to, to open, then they'll reinstate the rule. So for however long sort of the COVID-19 quarantine lasts, if you release a movie on streaming on demand, it is technically eligible for Academy Awards consideration this year. So what movie are we going to do? Birds of Prey 2. <laughs> also, the other the other big news, and Mike, you're going to like this, uh, they've combined. They're actually collapsing two categories into one this year. Going forward, there's just going to be an Academy Award for Best Sound. There won't be Best Sound Editing oh. and Best Sound Mixing. They're just going to combine them. That's going to mess up my Oscar pool because normally those are the two that I spend the most time right. trying to figure right. out who is going to win yeah yeah the good I, news is i think they've already promised that by get, getting rid of a, a category that just gives them more time for musical montages and like awkward salutes to like busby berkeley or the western or whatever they had planned this year for the telecast so the telecast will probably be an extra 15 minutes the big dan fogelberg tribute that they had right. planned for this <laughs> right. year 
Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I'm surprised that this early in the game they're committing to having a show this year. Like, I don't get why... To me, it would have made more sense to wait this out a little bit and say, "Are we end? Are we gonna do this this year?" Not? Sure. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, the Academy. I mean, the Academy Awards won't be until February of 2021 is the next show. So, I mean, technically, we're right. We're, we're months and months away. Um, but all but, the with the, but all, all the, the movies, movies that being can't pushed happen. back. Yeah. And, right. Right. You know, now they're even talking about releasing like the next James Bond film in 2021. They're talking about pushing that back even further now. So it's like how many movies that would have been award season contenders are, you know, they're just going to push them a little bit further down the line. And what, what are we going to have to nominate this year? Is it really going to be Birds the of best prey. of the best? Like it's, Birds of prey. This, definitely, this definitely is the year that we should release our movie <laughs> that we have been wanting to make yeah. and actually have a chance at winning best picture. Yeah. Like we, we, we could get an Oscar this yeah. year. Yeah. Let's do it's it. It's never been more likely. You know who should do, you should write a movie and direct one, a woman. They don't like. They don't want to make movies, though. I'm just throwing it out. They Last certainly year, don't want to make ones that get nominated for Academy Awards. Well, that's what I'm saying. This year, they could decide they want to try. I mean, yeah. <laughs> no, the, the odds are in their favor for a chance. Yeah. 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 Anyway, uh, anyway, anyway. Okay. All right. I just realized right. we're not getting anybody back by the end of this episode. No, 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 no. That's that. We just we, alienated. We shit the, the bed on that one. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So. So here, here we are tonight to talk about another Best Picture winner, this one in recent history, Catherine Bigelow, famous for being the first female director to Ever. win yep. a Best Director Oscar. This movie also was obviously Best Picture. Danny, do you want to give us a quick plot recap on The Hurt Locker? Yeah, I'm going to keep it super tight. Um, it, this movie is about an explosive ordnance disposal team in the Iraqi war in 2004 and Jeremy Renner plays um, uh, Sergeant James Sergeant First Class James who's sort of the team lead who comes in to join his new unit when they have I think about 30 days left of their deployment so the other two members of his team are sort of counting down the days they've been in action for a while ready to go home he joins their team after their former commander uh, dies during a, a, a bomb accident. And uh, they spend the movie sort of tooling around Iraq, trying to defuse bombs and not get murdered. There's a brief aside where suddenly Sergeant James is trying to solve a crime or perhaps become a vigilante. That doesn't really go anywhere. But anyway, we end up realizing that James is an addict for the adrenaline, the fear, and the thrill of war, and that unfortunately has become the one thing in his life that he cares about and that he's good at, and he'd rather be in the Hurt Locker than at home with his wife and son. And that was yeah. enough to win Best Picture. Yeah, yeah, that's a good summary. And not good, just Best good. Picture. This thing won six Academy Awards. It was nominated for nine it won six and maybe is most famous for being the lowest grossing Oscar winner ever. And it beat Avatar, 
Yeah, I think I think that that's a really that's a really good point to bring up too. Like that we didn't touch on that Avatar was it was clearly the front runner going into the evening. I mean that was nominated for 600 Academy Awards that night and was one of the highest grossing films of all time. A a visual spectacle. Uh, there was the you know the Oscar side story of James Cameron having directed Avatar, his ex-wife Catherine Bigelow having directed The Hurt right. Locker. And and they couldn't have been more disparate as far as financial box office, right? right? Like I, I mean, the the Hurt Locker was was kind of a nothing burger, though it had <laughs> gone into the awards, I mean, very critically acclaimed and 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 well deserved. It, it it just wasn't, you know, looked at as a a front runner for anything. So to have walked away with the big awards that night was a huge deal yeah an an exciting ceremony overall what did you guys think of it you've both seen it before what what upon rewatching it had captured you i i actually had never seen it before last night um really yeah yeah, i had never it was just one of those ones that like to your point i don't remember it playing in theaters like maybe it was just because all anybody was going to see at that point was Avatar and, right. you know, the Chipmunks sequel or something like that. <laughs> right. um, but I don't remember it being in theaters. It was one that just kind of really wasn't on my radar until after it won Best Picture. And then I just I never saw it. And so I, I sat down for the last time or for the first time last night to, to watch it. Um, <clears throat> I, I thought it was uneven. At best, certainly mm. some exciting mm. moments, especially in the early going. Like the, they get the tension just right, you know. I mean, like those first couple scenes where Sergeant James is uh, trying to defuse the bomb and um, very tense. Like they they capture that really well. But to me, it just sure. felt like okay, now we're going to defuse another bomb, and this time there's more bombs, and then. <laughs> And then the next yeah. time, like, yeah. there'll be more bombs. And also, maybe a sniper. Like, <laughs> so, I just didn't feel like there was much of a plot. It was just a series of yeah scenes of Jeremy Renner in tense situations, defusing bombs, and it was pretty uneven, I thought. Okay. I am blown away by the fact you've never seen it. So, listeners, yeah. not only is Dan uh, one of a lifelong friend of ours and a friend of the, the podcast, he's also a veteran who served in uh, Afghanistan in the U.S. Yeah. Army. And so I thought for sure you would have seen this or talked about it or something. Nothing? It, ever? Well, and there was, I, there was actually a time for me where, like, certainly while I was in the military – where the last thing I wanted to watch was a movie about the military, especially if it had to do with the Iraq or Afghan conflict. Okay, um, sure. And so, you know, 2009, that's, you know, about five years after I got out, but I was still just kind of like, you know, I don't know if I need to to watch this yet, you know? Yeah, like, yeah. So that's fair. Maybe that had something to do with it as well, but... Um, I, yeah, it's I, why Danny doesn't watch My Fair Lady again. 
Right. It hits a little close to home. That one hits yeah. a little close to home. Basically the same. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so we're the same page. Yeah. Right. Right. So I don't know if that had anything to do with it or not, but it was just one of those ones that really kind of quickly slipped off my radar. Like when it won Best Pictures, like, oh, I should see that. And then when I didn't see it for a month or two after that, it was just like kind of forgotten. And now yeah. having watched it last night, I kind of feel like, I don't know, was was it worth all the the fuss that it got? Like, I, I definitely well, some tense. I, I mean, it's it's. It's a valid point, though. I mean, like, it wasn't in many theaters for very long at all. I, I know that the time that I saw it in anticipation of the Academy Awards was, like, on DVD a month prior or so. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, it it wasn't it wasn't out there. It, it wasn't very accessible for a long period of time. And I think I, I, I did see it in the theater, but I feel – and I feel – I guess my memory was that it was in theaters for a while, but probably just on one screen – Probably just on a couple of showings because Avatar owned every other yeah. screen for so long. Right. Um, yeah. And then you also had movies like Up was nominated. I mean, this was this was I think the first year post the that Dark Knight. They went to Knight. like nine. They went to I more. I remember yeah, anything other than Avatar that was up. Yeah. Yeah, A Serious Man uh, was nominated. So I mean, there's I mean, there's a it was the Coen Brothers. Yeah, it was that, a Coen Brothers film. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, there just was a, a there was a lot going on that year uh, in movies, and this was just I'm still kind of surprised that it made 17 million dollars, the lowest by far. It was the year after Slumdog Millionaire, which had made over a hundred plus million dollars in the U.S. So right. you come off sort of a right. bigger hit to this just complete opposite, this tiny little movie that also really didn't star anybody. I mean, Jeremy Renner. And Anthony Mackie now certainly are larger stars given their roles in the Marvel superhero movies, uh, in the Avengers. And it did star people like Guy Pierce and David Morse and Ray Fiennes in very, very small, almost cameo type roles. And so there was no star power. Right. Um, well, even any of those people, but, they're not, yeah. you know. Is Ray Fiennes gonna? Are people lining up to see the new Ray Fiennes movie? Like, I love Ray Fiennes. I, I, love I, hear, <laughs> I hear he's a complete monster as a human, but I really, I really enjoy him. Especially uh, Grand Budapest is still like a top three movie for me. I definitely can appreciate your point, Danny. And like I mean, Jeremy Renner was, I mean, he was not a movie star when no. this that when this film came out. He was nominated for an Oscar for for best the movie. actor. Yeah. For best actor, yeah, I almost felt like Anthony Mackie was a larger character in the film than than even Jeremy Renner was. But and I'd forgotten it. Like this is only the second time that I've seen it. I saw it once uh, in anticipation of the Academy Awards. I watched it the second time to prepare for this podcast, and I forgot that Anthony Mackie was even in the movie. Yeah, but. What did you guys think of it? I enjoyed it overall. I think that this was a, I don't even know the right word to use, like satisfying. Like, I think that the bomb diffusing scenes are intense. I appreciate the handheld camera work. I liked the, I'm not going to use the right adjective, but I think that there's like an almost sort of banality to army life that is that is expressed in this movie that I just can't believe like this is life or death. Like this is, this is us 
trying to save the world. And yet on a day-to-day basis, it's so stupid. And like those scenes where, you know, they're fighting in their barracks and whatever. It's just like, this is, this is just like a, a, a sad scene yet life and death is hanging in the balance throughout all of it. And I, I think the juxtaposition of that is really well expressed. And so for that reason, I enjoyed the movie a lot. I, I think that it's like this, I, I can't believe that this is the way day-to-day life is, yet if it's the wrong day, thousands of lives are hanging in the balance. I guess I agree with you, Dan. I feel like it's, Uneven is probably the generous word. I think it is probably well crafted, but it it's not that it's boring because those tense scenes really do, you know, like get you on the edge of your seat. But then it just sort of strung together. I, I guess when I was being generous while I was watching it, I did. I wrote down and this feels really pretentious to even think of this way. But I said, I feel like this movie has no beginning, no middle and no end. It's sort of like it always was and it will continue to be much like the Iraq war at this point, right? Like it takes place in 2004. This is filmed in 2009. You know, at that point, we'd been at war for years. You know, we were at war there for years afterwards. And it just sort of felt like you could almost take any random 30-day period from like a 12 or 15-year period – and you could play this movie out. So it it wasn't like this incredible drama or this arc or this story that unfolded that was really memorable. It was sort of like, you know, if you took the whole war and stretched it out like a piece of film and just randomly grabbed, you know, the frames in the middle, it's like this is what you'd get. That's a, and that's exactly what they did, too. And I found that to be problematic from the standpoint that if you're using the end of someone's tour of duty – as a dramatic tool right like oh they're so close to the end of their tour but you haven't really spent any time building up why we should care about those particular characters as opposed to any other soldier right who's there like why should we care more about anthony mackie or you know yeah what was the other guy's name uh owen eldridge um yeah like apparently he had some pretty serious psychological damage like why where did that come from why why should we feel more sorry for him than any other soldier out there and that trope of like they're so close to the end of their tour right you know are they going to make it out they've they've made it this far and it's like well that's any soldier towards the end of their tour and everybody you know to varying degrees had dangerous jobs over there so if you're not going to spend the time building up the characters and getting us to care about them, then why have it be at the end of a tour? Right. There were a couple other, I mean, talk about tropes, this whole trope of um, Jeremy Renner's character meeting the young boy who's trying to sell him DVDs, who then later he thinks has been turned into a body bomb and that he's going to become a vigilante and take justice into his own hands and hold people at gunpoint. That was such a weird left turn. It really was, but it, that was an odd. It really spot. felt like yeah. such a movie moment. Like that would have been the whole plot of like a movie with John Travolta from the the late nineties. Yeah. And then they just sort of abandon it. Right. And we just sort of get on with life. Like he just stops caring about the kid. 
That was and one of the major problems I had watching the film too. That I really thought like, okay, well now this is a mystery. That and suddenly Jeremy Renner's a detective who's going to be able to get to the <laughs> right. bottom of it. Like a couple scenes ago, Anthony Mackie called him trailer trash and he's stupid. And <laughs> right. He, yes. Like, so yes. Why is he the one who's going to get to the bottom of this mystery? Correct. Yeah. I mean, he seemed like he had eight brain cells for most of the movie. So, yeah, like like the fact that he's going to to detect where where the source of this problem came from was absurd to me. When Anthony Mackie's character was the one who was described as having a background in military intelligence. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, so it's just it's all over the map to me. But we we can agree that. Technically, it was well made. Yes. That the way that the bomb scenes, you know, every time they're trying to to defuse a bomb, the random crowds that just sort of show up or the way that the Catherine Bigelow and her team filmed like the alleyways and rooftops and abandoned cars. Like, I mean, by the end, you're paranoid that anybody's about to set off a bomb. Right. And that was really effective. And I think yeah. you could probably, like, if you were flipping through the channels on TV and this was on TV, you could watch just about any 10 to 15 minute segment of this movie and then turn it off and be like, wow, that was that was intense. I don't think you need to watch the whole movie because it is yeah. so uneven. And I don't I, I just felt like that that scene with Beckham where they thought he was the body bomb was just like, all right, well, now this is this is going off somewhere where. I don't care as much as I did five minutes ago. Oh, that's that's fair. Well, I'm nothing if not fair. What's up with that? What's up with that? So, so what's Dan? What's up with that scene you just referenced where they find uh, the body that they think is is Beckham? What's up with? I mean, that was another scene where like they come in and the the tea is still brewing. That right. the bomb maker just left. There's a cigarette still smoldering. Yeah. Like I thought, oh gosh, we're about to like jump out a window or have a big chase scene. And and again, the movie like almost to its credit sort of eschews that. But at the same time, it's like, well, that would have been satisfying and exciting. And instead, you you take this weird like melodramatic yeah turn, and then he right. saves the body. And and I'm sorry, what's yeah. up with the colonel that comes with them? Who's just sort of like casually chatting with people in the street and who ends up getting blown up. Yeah. Like, like is any officer in the military that stupid and naive and just wandering around the streets with a bomb disposal team like that? Yes. Really? Yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, gosh. Really? Oh, dear. Yes. Oh, that's disheartening. Okay. Uh, we don't want to hear that. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, most of them aren't. Um, but, uh, yeah, you get people that you know and i think that character's background was that he was not a guy who was in the field sure. often at all so he like he was probably really good at his job but in the field he was completely out of his element and that that happens like and i know from you know when i was in afghanistan it's like you, you get people over there and it's like i don't care what you were trained to do here's what we need done here and so you're you're doing things all the time that you were never trained to do. So yeah, that kind of thing happens. What is up with David Morse's character in there as a full bird colonel being that (laughs) impressed with somebody as reckless as Jeremy Renner? 
Like, was he impressed? I couldn't tell if he was being sarcastic and they just cut off the rest of his scene where he chews him a new asshole or if he was really I, impressed. I kept waiting for that to happen, but it yeah. didn't. Like, that's right. the choice they made. That full bird colonel who is, like, in charge of a very, very large group of soldiers is just really pleased as all get out with a guy who's just hmm. regularly endangering the lives of his fellow soldiers and civilians everywhere by being a total wild man. Mike, did you think he w- I thought he was totally being sarcastic and it was waiting for like the other shoe to drop and they just changed the channel. They just cut the scene. Absolutely. Yes. It, it was, it, it was a really weird turn in the movie that I, that I felt as well. And if it wasn't going to be a sarcastic move, why cast David Morse? Like, he's that guy. He plays yeah, right. that type of annoyed guy really <laughs> yeah. well. Yeah. And if it was, like, yes. genuine, he was uh, he was miscast. Well, I really yeah. – I, I thought exactly like you did that that's where it was going. And so at first I was like, oh, I really like this character already. And then you never see him again. And I'm like, oh, right? Yeah. 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 All right. How did that guy make full bird, Colonel? What what's up with the the half naked bronco riding scene? They got very very homoerotic very fast. Yes. That that came out of nowhere. I mean, Dan, you you can probably relate to that a little bit. I mean, having I used to been sit on in the military. guys' chests and dangle spit over their face and things like that, but that's just what <laughs> right, you do. Right. You need some way that's to decompress. What you do. Yes. You know. <laughs> um, You're in the desert. What else are you? Gonna <laughs> what are you gonna do? <laughs> what are you gonna do? You know, what would you do? Thank you for your service. Yes, thank you. <laughs> thank, thank you for your service, where you sat on a dude's chest and dangled spit in his face. Yeah, for our for our freedom. It, right, it was so. for yeah. the greater good. Yeah. yeah, it was for the greater good. Yeah, my spit wrote a blank check to this country. Right. <laughs> <laughs> What's up with Jeremy Renner's character? I couldn't tell if he was like brilliant and talented and just so on the edge or if he was just reckless and stupid and wanting to die or what? Like he was so hard to read. I feel like it was somewhere in between. Like I think about um, the, the character from what was the Clint Eastwood movie about the sniper, American sniper, Bradley Cooper. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like it's a, a similar role to that where you're just engaged in the the thrill of war and the excitement of that adventure and I, I, I think that I think that there was I think that was kind of the point of the movie was there was this juxtaposition of that but they put him he was so extreme i mean even from the very first day with his new team he's such an insufferable jag who like won't communicate won't even answer simple questions like where are you and are you still alive like he he won't even respond right i mean i feel like those are pretty basic requests that i got to imagine in order for any team to function you got to be able at least let me know you're still alive or sure, do yeah, I need to just yeah. strafe the entire street with bullets to, to try and kill somebody? It just didn't make, it didn't make any sense to me. Yeah. And yeah. yet I knew a lot of guys like that, that were just like, really? 
Yeah. Um, maybe not like the adrenaline junkie um, per se, but that that was the only, like the military was the only thing that they had going in their life. And so like I looked at him as like somebody that, number one, I would never want to serve with. And most of the people I served with were like just great, great people, right? Be proud to serve alongside them. But there's one or two in every company where you're just like, I don't feel good having this guy, you know, on my having team. Your back. He's yeah, yeah endangering yeah. lives and he's, you know, stupid. And, and this is the only thing that he's got going in his life because he screwed up everything else. And like, I, I found him to be a difficult character to watch from that standpoint. Like I, yeah. I, cause it was just like, man, those guys used to drive me insane. I just want to say for the record though, that we really could have used you guys over there. <laughs> thank, thank, you. thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for recognizing that. Dan, you are our guest tonight. So you are in the hot seat for five questions. Are you ready for five questions? I think so. All right. All right, Danny, lead us off. Question number one is a listener-submitted questions. Thanks, listeners. Uh, Dan, Catherine Bigelow directed this film and won the Academy Award for Best Director. She went on to direct Zero Dark Thirty, and her next film will be about Bowie Bergdahl, uh, the soldier who deserted and then was held for five years by the Taliban. Mm. What gives? Are Middle Eastern military engagement films, like, her jam? Is she trying to be, like... Like that, like Scorsese has the mafia and Rob Marshall has musicals and Guillermo del Toro has fantasy. Is this like her thing? That That's she's, her niche. Yeah. This is her yeah. niche. Okay. That's it. Yeah. She's uh follow up question. What's the next story she should tell after Bowie Bergdahl? Oh, um, hmm. that's a good question. Maybe something, uh, um, I'd like to see her try a rom-com. The answer we're looking for is Point Break 2. Point so break. <laughs> she directed Point Break. So this is... There it is. This, would, this would be... You kind of dropped the ball on that one. Over to you, Mike. I'm sorry. I blew it. <laughs> the Dan, is Point Break for the, for the main characters, Catherine Bigelow made a point of casting relatively unknown actors, at, at least at that time. Uh, she cast Jeremy Renner based on his work in Dahmer. A film yes. about Jeffrey Dahmer, the notorious serial killer whose victims were boys. Dan, can you please remind our listeners, how many young civilian boys have you preyed upon? <laughs> uh, boy. I mean, there's no judgment. It's hot. Yeah, no, I like, know, I know, yeah, I don't yeah, sense yeah, any. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> this is an entrapment in any way. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Hard like to this, say. You're, you're not. You're not a teacher. This one. This one. Yeah. Hard to say. Yeah. All right. Okay. All right. Moving on. Yeah. All right. Eight hundred seventy-three, sir. All right. <laughs> That's a quote from the film. For those of you who have not seen The Hurt Locker recently, that wasn't an actual answer from a guest. <laughs> Question number three. Uh, the Acad- we love and, and is a totally great guy. The yeah. two. Right. The two thousand nine Academy Awards were co-hosted by Alec Baldwin and Steve Martin. If you had to shoot one of those two men and then hang out with the other, which would you shoot? Which would you hang out with? Alec Baldwin, I would shoot. It pains me to say it, oh. but I, I, I can't not have Steve Martin around. 
Steve Martin I, now or Steve Martin like 1979? Could I say Steve Martin even 2009? Sure. I mean, sure. like at that time. Like, Why not? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, I don't know what Steve Martin is really doing fan, now other fan. than his Martin Short Netflix specials. Yeah. I think, but those are actually pretty good. Like, you're a big fan of Bowfinger. Yeah. Fair yeah. Enough. Like yeah. so. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I love Alec Baldwin, but I I go Steve Martin every day of the week and twice on Sunday there. Fair enough. All right. Fair enough. Dan, as an Army veteran yourself, for our listeners, can you draw a parallel between James' experience diffusing bombs and your experience twisting your ankle? really hard on me man like that you know um i want to point out that uh i broke my ankle playing basketball prior to being deployed um and then i just want to point out to all of your listeners that that ground in bagram afghanistan was really rocky and um, fair enough yes you know, i I twisted my ankle a number of times while in Baghdad, and so my ankles okay. also wrote a blank check to this country. How is your ankle today? That uh, is a follow-up yeah, question. Yeah, not great, but yeah, it's fine. Okay. All right, yeah. all right. Yeah. Question number five, okay. last question, as we talked about earlier, <laughs> this was the first year the Academy went to a, a vastly increased number of Best Picture nominees. We've talked about the fact that Avatar was nominated as well as The Hurt Locker, which, of course, went on to win. If you couldn't choose one of those two to win, which of the following films would you have chosen to be the best picture? Would it have been Up in the Air? Up, the animated film from Pixar. A Serious Man. Inglorious Bastards. The Blind Side. District 9. An Education. Or Precious, based on the novel Push by Sapphire. Oh, God. That one was horrible. Probably up. Um, yeah. Okay. Maybe totally a close second would have been Inglorious Bastards. Although, if it hadn't gone like completely off the rails at the end, I would say Inglorious Bastards. Because the first 15 minutes of that film are some of the most tense yes. moments I yeah. have ever seen in film ever. Um, but I, I think start to finish... I mean... I, like line them up all again today I think up start to finish is the best of the bunch okay great thank you yeah. thank, thank you Dan thank you listeners great answer great job alright well done alright yeah, well thank you listeners quick round robin did the academy get it right in 2009 Mike I just listed off all the nominees yes or no I, I cannot think of anything that I would have would have substituted for this movie up in the air would have been my close second i guess even before up but that that's where i'd leave it dan i would i think up is the best of that bunch i'm gonna go ahead and agree with you i think out of all the whatever nine or ten movies they just rattled off it's the one i've seen multiple times and not just because i have kids who love disney and pixar uh i think it's a genuinely great film and i've revisited it like mike i i've seen the hurt locker i've now seen it twice I don't think I'll be seeing it a third time. It's a little bit of a slog. Like, I remember being 
excited by the intense bomb diffusing scenes, but I, I just I can't imagine watching this one more time. It, it just what it, it it didn't do it for me. Agreed. Well, Dan, thanks so much for joining us. Mike, great to talk to you. Uh, I look forward to our next Best Picture episode. But coming up next, we've got the smash hit Guy Ritchie film, The Gentleman. Thanks for listening to the Spoiler Alert podcast. Please visit us online at movieoutsiders.com, where you can see what films we'll be discussing next, comment on our recent episodes, suggest movies to review or topics to discuss, or submit questions for the five questions segment of the podcast. Stop by and visit our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash movieoutsiders, and be sure to follow us on Twitter at movieoutsiders. If you're a fan of the show, we'd really appreciate you leaving a review on iTunes, Overcast, Stitcher, or whatever podcast subscription service you use. We'll be back again next week with another episode, but until then, enjoy the movies.